Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. I'm your, mo- your host, Mitch Foster. I'm joined by Ando Anderson and we have a guest with us today as well. So we've got Mitch Evans or Rev joining us up from Queensland. How's it going, fellas? Brilliant. Rev, how about you, mate, from up north? Yeah, loving it. Uh, good to have the footy back on. Uh, um, you know, win or lose, always happy to talk about rugby, so can to get into it. How's your week, Mitch? My week has been good. Yeah, can't complain. Um, Bledisloe 2 this this weekend. Probably not the <laughs> result I was after, but we will definitely be getting into that later. Uh, what about you, Ando? Uh, mate, I've got sick kids at home. So I've had two, like, 2 a.m. nights, four hours sleep. It's bloody brilliant. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but I still managed to um, stay radio silent because I couldn't get to watch the game at the uh, when it was live. But I managed to stay radio silent, ignore all the texts that were coming through. And you watch can't have been so. too far behind. You texted me when you finished and we watched live and it would have yeah. been 20 minutes after the, it finished. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I must have um, caught up. Yeah, I just skip through scum, scrum resets. And uh, when I see the ball out, I go back. So, like, if there's three resets, I'll just skip frost. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of injury time in this one as well. So, I so. do that throughout the game. It's amazing how much time you save. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, it was. Yep. Anyway, anyway, got to it. And look, I know we're going to get to it, but it wasn't as bad, I think, as the scoreline suggests. We just got trounced by a team that finishes off any mistakes that you That's make. right. So, yep. Yeah, well, look, I'm not that upset, but we'll get to it. Definitely. All right, so who we are and what we do, we are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, real, family-friendly, and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Awesome. Ando, go through our socials. All right, Instagram, hit us up at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast. And then Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. So get us there. And actually for this week, we're not two diehard rugby fans. We we're are three, three diehard three. rugby fans. So how good we get to change things up for a bit. Have fun. It's awesome. It's good. And we're also not all from New South Wales this week, which is a good twist as well. All right. So what we're <laughs> going to do tonight, we are going to dive into some... Oh, I'll do my best to... Yeah, what was that, Rev? You go, Rev. You go, Rev. <laughs> oh, sorry, just going to say, I do my best to offer some uh, non-New South Wales bias towards the game, but I don't think there'll be too much brought up. Um, you know, it, it's fairly good between New Spurs and Queensland this week. It depends. What depends what you say about Ned Hannigan. So let's let's hold <laughs> up that commentary and that discussion to that point. Uh, Mitch, what are we doing tonight? Yes, yeah, so, so we'll do some spicy news first up, bit of controversy there. Dive into some South Africa controversy mm. and then we will dive into our review of Bledisloe cup game two sounds good awesome sounds good let's jump straight into the spicy news then so it. the main talking point that comes out of the last week of rugby is south africa pulling out of the rugby championship now there had been some rumors last time around when we did the pod that this was going to be happening um we i was of the opinion that they were going to be coming regardless of financial um but they have pulled out so I am going to quickly just scroll up and find. So Sanzar and Rugby Australia, I'm quoting from Official uh, South African Rugby CEO, Juri yep. Ru. So Sanzar and Rugby Australia have bent over backwards to make the tournament happen. And it would have been unfair on them and their partners and state governments to delay a decision any longer. It's a hugely disappointing outcome for supporters and commercial partners, but the ongoing impacts of the pandemic in multiple dispensation means we're unable to deliver a Springbok team without seriously compromising player welfare, apart from other little challenges. Uh, Mitch, what are your initial thoughts before we then get Rev's ideas on this too? I am not a fan of this at all. This, um, I, this originally came out on Thursday night, uh, quite late. Um, and I remember reading it just before going to bed about 11 o'clock, 11.30. And I was just lying there for hours thinking about it. So wound up and frustrated about it. Just thoughts going through my head. How could they do this? This is the worst possible outcome. It's so unfair to everyone. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it's just thrown the whole rugby championship into disarray. They have come up with a little bit of a solution, but to be fair, it's nowhere near as good as uh, double headers and a proper um, rugby championship going ahead. So yeah, I'm not a fan of this at all. Not happy. Yeah, neither am I. Rev, what was your initial th- response? And then has that changed or mellowed over the last kind of 48 hours? I think the initial response was just disappointment because the whole time, as Mitch said, the double headers was the key selling point. Like all my mates were keen to buy tickets to the Suncorp games, see one test match and then back it up immediately with, you know, another game. And 
they would have been really well matched games because South Africa and Argentina, they've both had the really limited preparation yeah. and training. So they were probably going to be a bit more on par, you'd think, just to start things off. Um, and then obviously we've played New Zealand twice. So we've had uh, all the Super Rugby outer roller and the AU comp. So yeah, I was really looking forward to see that double head of that clash. But I think now that I've thought it about a bit more, it's really just disappointing for Argentina because they're over yeah. here. They're, they're way too late in the game to have a say about, oh, well, we actually don't want to be involved if it's just Australia and New Zealand or if we're going to you know, have to front up with four test matches in a row while you guys get to rest, rotate, and you've already had better preparation. But it, it just comes down to being unfair, I think, in the end. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the kind of big takeaways is that Argentina are the ones that yet again have just been left in a lurch by the kind of machinations of Sansa. Um, I'm I'm just really disappointed. And I put it out on Twitter um, mm. on the podcast account. Something <laughs> I can't remember exactly what I said, but something to the effect of how hasn't this decision been made a month ago or three weeks ago? Because I just all, all of the available information they needed to make a decision has been available for the last two or three weeks. It's not as though they didn't know that their players would be underdone. It's not as though they didn't know that Australia and New Zealand would have had a few games of preparation. I just am not really clear about how they agreed to this competition in the first place when they didn't supposedly have government approval for travel and there were all these supposed question marks that have been there the whole time. Why do you say yes to a competition that you can't commit to? Um, yeah, I, definitely. I um I view this more along the line. So they have come out and said officially that it comes down to the the restrictions of COVID and then the players just not being prepared for it. But I just really feel like they're pulled out because they're not going to be competitive. Um, they're yeah. the world number ones. They're the current um, holders of the World Cup. They not want. They don't want to come down here and get flogged by New Zealand and then. Hopefully, we would flog them as well, um, but they they don't want to do it. So, to me, it seems more of a reason around um, that they they just they're not going to be competitive. So let's get out and let's not be in it and let's use another excuse. Because if they were worried about player safety and those kinds of things, they wouldn't have they would have pulled out much earlier. They wouldn't have played that trial match um, because their intention there was. We'll play this trial. Well, as it appears to me as an Australian rugby fan, we'll play this trial. We'll see where we're at. We'll put our, our team together and then we'll be ready for the, the tournament. And they played the team. They played the trial and they sort of went, wow, we're so far off the pace. It's yep. We're just not going to be competitive at all. Yeah, I have they... a theory. I have and, a theory. Sorry and, to the, in. and the other thing I was just going to say um, yep. was they've signed off on the, all the Sansar Nation signed off on the, um, the schedule when it was announced. Uh, there was a little bit of heat, yep. heat there around New Zealand around scheduling exact dates and things, but they all agreed to be in the competition and to play however many weeks back-to-back, -back, all that kind of stuff. And now they're saying that they're not ready and not ready to compete. They signed off then. They should have pulled out then. Well, my my conspiracy theory is that they saw the quality of Builders 01 and went, oh, crap, um, that's where these teams are up to. We could get there if we had more game time under our belts. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we're just going to get trounced and we don't want our only games prior to the British and Irish Lions tour to be losses uh, in Australia. So I wonder if they'd rather just keep their mystique and their aura of being world champions, even with no game time for like 20 months until the British and Irish Lions come. That's kind of my conspiracy theory. Rev, then, any further thoughts? I think you'd be right with that because as Mitch brought up as well, like they've known the same details for months now. You know, there's been a few date changes, but I don't know why in the last week before making the decision, they kept asking for these 48 hours of grace, you yeah. know, another few days of grace just to solidify the decision. I just don't think there was really anything else that could have changed other than seeing how Australia and New Zealand were playing. Yeah, and how or, far the pace they were. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe even internally, if they were watching their um, Super Rugby Unlocked matches, because I've got up to watch a few of those, and it is still very rusty. It's like the first few weeks of AU and Alto Roller. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if... Perhaps if it was the internal look of just like, oh, gee, this is how we're playing. I don't think we can send over a 23 that would be competitive from this lot. But it, to me, it all just seems like a, a net loss because even losses over here um, is going to be better than no test match preparation. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that Completely puts agreed. it um, forward too, that if you're looking at planning for the British and Irish Lions coming over, as, as much of they haven't been had the ideal preparation for this tournament, 
I feel like you would want to be playing against Australia and New Zealand, even if you're going to get beaten, to, to prepare your squad for that British and Irish Lions series instead of playing no one. So what's going to end yeah. up happening now is they'll, the, Irish, British, the, the Lions will arrive next year and the Springboks will not have played for like 24 months or whatever it is. It'd two be months, like, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, it'd be nearly t- two years of no international rugby. They're going to get flogged. It's not going to be a competitive um, Lions series. You wouldn't think. We'll see. It's probably it's raised the stakes of the midweek games and all the warm-up matches because normally when uh, the Lions go over and tour, they burst the club sides. But there's probably a real push now to get as many of the box players into the Lions, into the Stormers, into all the club teams so that they've actually played against the Lions by the yeah. time they get to the Springboks match. That's right, yeah. They might be doubling up as well. Yeah. So, so they're going to be wary. The and then play up for the, South, the um, Springboks that weekend. Either way, it just doesn't seem like the best use of their time but obviously they're higher ups i'm presuming no more than me so oh <laughs> um, to that decision <laughs> lads why don't we move on to the other uh talking points because obviously we want to get to the bladders low recap um mitch do you want to quickly run through some of the shoot shield updates yes yeah, so we had the shoot shield preliminary finals this weekend uh they were a lot tighter than i think most people were expecting and we had one massive upset so um, going into it, we had Gordon played Ranwick and they came away with a one point victory, which was crazy considering that Gordon was minor premiers finishing the season and Ranwick scraped in at number six. So, and if you've watched the game, Gordon won, uh, got ahead in the last three minutes of the game. They got a penalty to, to get ahead. So Randwick was well and truly leading the game for most of the, or leading the score line for most of that game. Um, North beat Sydney Uni 24-22. And the game this afternoon after the Bledisloe Cup saw Eastern Suburbs play Eastwood and Eastwood uh, went won pretty convincingly 29 to 20. Brilliant. So I think that sets up being it's Gordon, North, Eastern Suburbs and Eastwood that are through to the uh, final or to the semifinals uh, next weekend. So, yeah, and Ed Craig, who um, we've done an interview with, which will be coming out at some point in next week or two, next absolutely week, killed yeah. it for Eastwood. Yeah, he absolutely killed it. Yeah, he scored um, so a lot of tries. Congratulations to him. I think he scored two tries, one or two tries and saved a number of points too. So got some scrum penalties as well. So he's doing very well. Well done. Wallaby's call up coming. Oh, uh, maybe soon. And um, one other first, interesting we'll note was that um, our old friend Tatafu Pilota now was playing for Parramatta fourth grade. Um, and not as everyone would expecting it at hooker, he was actually playing number six. So that was quite fun to go back and watch him run around packing on the side of the scrum, not the front of the scrum. So that was, was good to watch too. And that was How a draw. Good. That was a draw that game, 17 all. You actually watched that. I went back and watched the highlights, uh, sort of went through it. Yeah, it's on a it's on a, an app called Clutch TV. Um, and yeah, you know, yeah, I downloaded that. Highlights yesterday. from um, the different various games. And so I was like, oh, I'll see if he's playing. Uh, he was. He was actually playing in jersey number 16 for some reason. I couldn't figure out if he was playing prop or not until the first uh, hooker or not until <laughs> the first scrum and he went to the second row. So, yeah, no, it was good fun. They probably didn't have a... Um a back rows jersey that would fit a front row. Yeah, he probably didn't fit in the sixth jersey. Yeah, that's my guess. Hey, let's keep on going. Um, we've got the Western Force doing a whole bunch of recruiting because they got Twiggy's hard, hard cash. And so the main ones are the resignings of Richard Kahui, Jeremy Thrush, Andrew Reddy, and Chris Heiberg. Um, so I think that's all really good news. They've also had the uh, announcement that a lot of players are getting released and there are some pity pretty big names there. So Heath Tessman, an absolute legend of the club, has finally had his time at Western Force finish up. So congratulations to Heath Tessman for a wonderful career and some great work there. Um, but we also have some relatively important names for the Western Fade pretty well in the Super Rugby. So Henry Stowers, Jacob Abel, um, Nick Frisbee is not going to be getting a, another contract. Uh, Ollie Atkins, Pet Cowan, there's a few other guys, Tevin Ferris as well. Um, but also in our conversation a few weeks back with um, Mitch Hardy over from WA, he really rated Nick Joost, J-O-O-S-T-E, as kind of the potential um, fly half to be playing next season. And he's been let go as well. So it'll be an interesting one to see who actually slots in at number 10. But secondly, where Nick Joost ends up. And they also have, um, they've also re-signed um, the 10 from this year. I've just had a mind blank. I'm Lance. Lance. Lance, yeah. Yep. That w- was that announced this week? Did we say that last uh, week? I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure. I don't think I don't, we said Yeah, it. I don't think we said okay. it. So he's also been retained as well. Okay. Well, that's... Oh, yeah, he is. Okay. There's his nice picture right there. And Henry yeah. Tafu and Jake Strawn. Cool. Um, well, I'm not sure. Mitch, did I hear a little uh from you when we said <laughs> that um, John O'Lance had been re-signed? Oh, it wasn't so much of a complaint. I, I remember it might have even been Mitch Hardy talking about him not yeah. being um, super stoked that he was in the 10 position, maybe just because he's... Yeah, he doesn't rate it. A, you know, yeah, because he trucks it up in a few pop passes, maybe not as exciting as he used to be. And he never had that sort of peak excitement. He was always a really safe player. But I wouldn't be surprised, just you know, given some of the international signings they've got coming in, if they went to move someone like McGregor or Strun from fullback into 10, just to get a bit more first receiver action. Yeah, yep. Yep. Anyway, look, I think we can finish it up there with the spicy news, guys, and move ahead into the Bledisloe Cup review. How does that sound? That sounds good. Let's get into it. All right, let's go. Okay, so we now get to really the bread and the butter of this podcast, which is the game review of Bledisloe Cup Game 2. So this was played at Eden Park, and there were some pretty high hopes for the Wallabies coming to this game, much like there always are. And unfortunately, much like every time we beat the Wallabies, the All Blacks in Game 1 of the Bledisloe, things don't really turn out well for us in Game (laughs) 2. So the way we're going to roll with this review is we have six questions that is going to be the kind of framework. Or six statements. Let's say statements, because I don't think... these are questions. They I are made questions? sure they were okay, questions. I'm just, yeah, thank you. We, caught, we, we got caught up last week. That's all. I'm just being cautious. <laughs> yeah, trust me. I made these questions and Good. I made them very clearly with a question mark at the end. Punctuation okay. matters. Number one, what were your feelings at the end of the game? Number two, was it a case of the All Blacks won or the Wallabies lost? Three, was this a step forward or backward for the Wallabies? Four, how much did Tumu's injury impact the Wallabies? Five, which players stood out for the right or wrong reasons? And then six, will New Zealand win the Bledisloe 3-0? So starting off, Mitch, what were your feelings at the end of the game? Or well, we should probably tell everyone if they haven't caught the game. New Zealand oh, won. Yeah, good it point. was uh, 27 you. to 7. It was 10-7 yeah. at halftime. So Wallabies was well and truly in it. They let in three quick, easy tries. Um in the between the 42nd minute and the 49th minute. So brilliant. Thank you, yeah. Mitch. So Mitch, how are your feelings at the end of it, mate? Yeah. So look, if we go to half time, I was feeling optimistic. We were down by three points. We had had some good runs. We weren't doing things as well as last week. We were missing a lot of tackles, but I was optimistic that we're going to do well. Um, and then it, the sort of wheels just fell off in the second half. And we kind of, we let in three quick tries we never really looked like threatening again. We got held up twice over the line. Um, we took There was a few decisions that Michael Hooper took that could have changed the outcome a little bit. But initially, straight after the game, I was disappointed. I kind of felt like we were back in the same spot we've been in so many times before when in Bledisloe 2, where we've done okay in Bledisloe 1 or we've won it or whatever the case may be in the last few years. And then we get flogged in, in Bledisloe 2. <laughs> I felt like that initially. Um, but going back and re-watching the game and watching some of the highlights and di- digging into it a little bit deeper, I'm not as upset now as I was as soon as the game finished. Yep. Okay, thank you for that summary. Uh, Rev, how about you, mate? I think I'm nearly the opposite. I, I started off really disappointed after the match. And in my head, I kept justifying, oh, actually, there was some bits that I liked. And if a few things went differently or we did this instead, then you know we're suddenly in the game. It's a bit more pressure. It's a bit more competitive. But... Uh, just to make sure I was, you know, looking at the correct times for the tries, I went back and watched pretty much the first 15 minutes of the second half. And I just thought there were so many errors that compounded. It made me really annoyed that you've, you know, that you've come into halftime, you're down three points and you've been the worst team. That should have been such a massive motivator for Rennie. Just yeah. be like, hey, we're really in this. We just have to, we don't even have to be outstanding. We just have to be better than what we were putting out there before. Uh, and they, they didn't do that. Yeah, I think it just leads to levels of frustration because we saw some really good things from the Wallabies, but at the same time, there were still some of those characteristics going missing for a, an important period of the game and New Zealand capitalised, which they so often do. Um, so it was the whilst I at the end of it, I definitely saw some positives. Without a doubt, I was frustrated because I knew that we could have performed better than we did. And our performance last week made me just recognize what this group is capable of doing. And they just weren't able to replicate the quality that they showed last week tonight yeah, or today. Definitely. Um, I have a question before we move on any further. 
um, uh, uh, for both of you around the game. Um, do you both think that Brandon Pangramos's try was legitimately disallowed? Rev, what do you reckon? Uh, I think it was a legitimate disallow only because it was really needless. You could see that he propped himself up. And as we were watching the game, we kept thinking, oh, if he's actually stayed low, he's just reached out. That should be given a try. That'd be fine. But the angle was really disconvincing of him. You could see him get up on his knee and really propel himself forward for that second movement. Yep. Um, which is probably why they weren't really going to look into it much more than I think one or two angles. Um, but yeah, that, that was a really needless one of just white line fever. We could have really just kept that for another phase or even you know kept it in the mall for another five seconds and he would have been over the line. Yep. Ando? Yeah, look, I agree with that. I don't know the law book well enough to know the exact law that they're citing or whatever, but it kind of makes sense. He did get up onto his knees again for that movement. So okay, if, that's, so if that's the rule, the ruling, then yeah. I'm saying that it shouldn't have been a penalty because it was a maul. So it wasn't a tackle. So when he went to ground, he wasn't held. So he had every right of getting back on his feet and going forward. Um if it was a tackle and he had a New Zealand player on top of him that had held him down, definitely that's that's a penalty because he can't get up, he can't play the ball, he has to place it and and that and release it. But he goes to ground and there's no All Blacks on top of him keeping him down. He's got every right to get back. He could get up and dive over the line and it should be a try. I'd have to look at it again. I wasn't sure if a ruck had been formed by the time he did that second move. No. So what happens? He's, um, so he's in the he's at the back of the mall. The more kind of splinters and he goes to ground and Wilson is right on his hip. Um, but there's no All Blacks players there. They're standing over the top of him. And then he sort of props himself up on his legs and then reaches out and puts it down. Now they're saying that it was a double movement because he's got back up onto his legs, which is yes. But that would only be the case if it was a tackle. Okay. I, I can't remember it clearly enough. Rev, can you remember any more of it? No, I... I... I remember the play, but I'd need to look into the actual, um, you know, written law around how they deem balls to go down. Like whether it's a case of if he just, you know, released the ball um, and played it again, if that would have counted, or what, what the ruling is for the mall. But just based off the views I gave and what Gardner was saying to the TMO, it, it seemed, um, you know, reasonable. I was questioning whether it was a penalty. Like I can understand that it's double movement, whether it is a penalty or a short arm to them, or what the correct call would have been there, but. I think, I think it was it's a tricky one long, because yeah. he's in the mall and the yeah. mall sort of splinters off. But if you have a different situation where there's a mall and he peels off the side as the as the the hooker at the back and then falls over, but no one's holding him and then he gets up and dives over, you'd award that. This is essentially yeah, the that he's done. He's just yeah. gone to ground and he's reached out. Um, because you what, only- I, what I'm seeing from this though, Mitchell, before yeah. before you go on. You just want another shot at Gardner, don't you? No, no. I, I actually thought he did very well in this game. I, I thought he refed this game very well. Ah, uh, good, good. No, it's fine. I'm just poking. For no, it's now. it's a it's a tricky one. It's a it's an intricate thing. Like you have to go into the laws of the the game and say, oh, really? Like it's a hard one to call. I just personally think that that could have been a try because yep. it wasn't a tackle. That's all. And I, that's okay. that's where I think the penalty comes from. Because if it was a tackle, he has to release the ball. It'd be the same as if you get tackled and then you just pick the ball up like some sevens players do. You know how they release the ball and yep. they pick it up again? That's why yep. they're saying that. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a tackle because there was no All Blacks players holding him down. But All right, let's keep moving on. Um, so let's move on to the second question and ask, was it a case of the All Blacks won or the Wallabies lost? And Rev, will start this one off with you before throwing it to me. With this one, I think there were so many issues with the Wallabies and just the mistakes they made that you can't really take it away from the All Blacks. It wasn't just mm. that we were making those mistakes, but they were forcing them. Like their defence was some of the best defence I've seen. Not that we were throwing you know, the kitchen sink at them, but they made all their tackles. They made sure that we were under pressure. They really, really tore us apart with counterattacks. So I think they worked really well for their points and you know stopped us really effectively at getting any more than our seven so um, as many mistakes as we made i still think it came down to the all blacks beating us yep no i'd agree with yeah. that i i would say the all blacks won and the wallabies didn't lose it um yes they capitalized on our um mistakes but we also gifted them points as well so that but like we yes we get sorry we yes we gifted them points like by 
um, James O'Connor kicking it straight to Clark with no backline set and then no no chases is just stupid. Um, yep. But in saying that, like they, Caleb Clark still got tackled, so they did well to get. Uh, he got tackled eventually. They still did well to score the points. Like they they used that momentum. So yeah, I they used their skill, their game management to. Um, to, to, to capitalize on that 10 minute period and just really go hard at the Wallabies. And um, yeah, I think they did. That's, that's such a clinical all blacks thing to do to just have 10 minutes and just put as many points on as you can. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, it's theirs. They won it. We, we, yeah, I, it. we were never ahead. I, I totally agree in that we, we contributed to our own defeat, but, it was because of the quality of the All Blacks that we That's were right. making so many mistakes. Um, Caleb Clark was just incredible in the way that he was busting tackles left, right, and center. Uh, by the 20th minute, the missed tackle count was three to New Zealand and 15 to Australia. Oh. So in 20 minutes, we had missed five times more uh, tackles than they had. And you just can't do that against New Zealand. Um, I was so, thinking... Yeah. I was thinking during yeah. the game as they were talking around the tackle stats and just the fact that we were dropping so much ball and making simple errors. Last week, you and I and were talking off the pod that it was the Rebels players that stood up and played really well last week and were quite um, decisive in certain points for the Wallabies. We've seen the Rebels yep. this year play really well in the wet and struggle in the dry. Do you think mm. that that's got something to do with it this week? You've cracked the code, mate. You've cracked it. Um, we just need to get know. the sprinkler it's... out. <laughs> just yeah, before everyone. It rains all the time. Do a rain dance or something like that. <laughs> it, it, it's an interesting one because, I mean, if, you, if we were to say that last week's win was largely down to the Rebels players, and yeah, you could make that assumption, but it's obviously more complex than that. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm not too sure what it was because the, the main problems last week were line out and... Um, uh, like clearing ruck out the turnover, ruts. yeah, yeah, rock turnover, and those were by and large fixed this week. Yeah, by and large. Um, we so, lost a few, early, but yeah, yeah, we lost a couple. Um, one of them, Sevilla, was body offside, but that's not <laughs> yes. Um, you should have heard it here. We were all going. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the yeah, it was just an interesting one because you just have to think what how is it that we can improve so much in those two areas of need from last week? And yeah, we definitely did improve, but then the basic fundamentals of sticking your tackles and not dropping the ball just seems to go away. And so for that, I think that comes down to a lift in Kiwi intensity mm. and particularly defensive line speed was really up this game from the Kiwis. I think we had less time on a ball than we had previously. Yeah. Our possession was way down. From last yep. week, I remember in the first half particularly, we had a lot of possession. I was worried that we had so much possession and hadn't got enough points from it. Uh, but this week uh, in the second half, it said there was a stat that came up in I think the 65th minute or something that said we'd had like 32% possession in this half. It, and I was just, yeah, it was a it was the opposite of last week. Yep. Yep. Okay. Question three. Uh, was this a step forward or backwards for the Wallabies? Mitch, start us off. Um. Can I say step sideways? <laughs> yeah, look, it's not look, a so question, I wouldn't but say I'll allow we, it. Um, I wouldn't say that yeah. we, in some areas, we, as you rightly said before, we did make a step forward, um, but then we went backwards in other key areas and in some ways in bigger, more important areas. I think this is something that the Waratahs have struggled a lot with over the years. I don't know um, if the, it's a, been as big an issue for the Reds, has it, Rev, um, around... We do one, like one area of our game one week is really poor. So we focus really intently on that area. So last week it was the ruck, um, the ruck and the line out. And then we come out the next week and we're okay in that part, but we've just completely forgotten about other parts of the game and just not done those elements well at all. Yeah, that was a massive factor before the uh, COVID hit because there were games where, I know when we went um, the South African tour, we'd narrowly lost to the Lions. Despite, yeah. I think we were, quite a lot better than them during the match, but um, Piper gave us a pretty incredible penalty count in the second half and Did they he? were able to claw their way back. But then it was interesting because the very next week we put all our eggs into the fixing the penalty issue, which wasn't even that much of an issue and struggled really with every other facet of the game. Like the scrum became worse, the lineup became worse because it seems nearly a one-track mind of, oh, well, if this is what we're working on, that's you know what we need to fix. Everything else, you know, we'll just presume will be as good as last week. Yeah, it's it's definitely it seems like a bit of an air an 
an issue for Australian rugby over the last few years in that the players, for whatever reason, have this skill base sort of level, level of space skills that they've got. Um, but then when you start putting an emphasis on certain areas of the game, so set piece or breakdown or uh, defensive kicking or whatever, those core skills just go backwards. Uh, last week, our core skills were quite good. We were, we were sticking passes. We, our kicks were finding touch. We were making a fair amount of tackles. This week, for whatever reason, we just lost those basics. Is and it was really you go, you go, you go, Riff. No, 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 no. You're the guy. <laughs> no, no, you, you go, you go. No, no, you. There, look at all these offers. Um, <laughs> no, I was just thinking it was a really um, took me back to the whole checker excuse of fitness because he kept saying, "Oh, we're not making these tackles because lack of fitness." And then the next week, you know, they make all the tackles, but they wouldn't make as many runs or make as many yeah. meters. And it, it just keeps coming up this cyclical nature of, "Oh, we, we can blame fitness for this," or we'll, we'll put all our um, thought into you know, just tackling this week and the next thing goes out the window. So I'm hoping that that's something that, you know, this group of Wallabies are just getting out of the system because mm-hmm. they've only had a few weeks with running. Uh, and that's, you know, they're still sort of unlearning that learnt skill that a lot of them had with Checker. Uh, yeah. 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 So that that's, yeah. do I answer that question? I think we've gone sideways. We left a lot of our basic skills, our, our basic skills let us down this week, um, but the scrums were better. We had better intensity at the breakdown. So we weren't losing as many um, penalties or turnover, but then we just, for whatever reason, weren't able to connect with passes and just made silly errors and made silly, um, took silly options and things. So yeah, sideways. All right, Rev, forward or backward or sideways or diagonal or whatever the heck you want to take it. Hexagonal. Yeah, I'll just throw in a, a goose step if that's um, where that's <laughs> yeah. just throwing a sort of step. Love it. Um, look, I... I put down uh, a step backwards purely because as I was looking through uh, the game and then after the match, just having a look at some of this like individual stats, so many of the players did so many things right, but they cammed that with all these other issues in the yeah. game. Yeah. And when I was looking at it, the only player that really came up as just consistently being good throughout the only players were Slipper and Taya. They were sort of the only two that had consistently good stats throughout. Everyone else... What about know, well, Hooper had some great games and his, you know, his two pilfers were fantastic, but he had five missed tackles, which, okay. That's you know, a, yeah. when you're only, yeah. and he only made 14, like 14 is a lot, but when you're missing more than a quarter of the tackles, yeah, you're true. attempting, yeah. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, by his standards, you know, if, um, if that was say Salakai Loto's stats, you probably wouldn't blink, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's great work rate, um, bit of a shame, but yeah, but I think that was the thing that let him down, but as you said, he did the exact opposite. He did what people have been saying for years when we had Popok there. He's like, I have come Hooper's not pilfering like him. Well, he, he did that this game. He just dropped the tackle on you. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess looking um, onto that more, the only reason why it's more of a set backwards other than just the individual stats is um, when you go from drawing against Seagull Blacks to losing by 20, it's, yeah, it, it, it can't be seen as an improvement, I don't think. Yeah. And I think Ronnie's already been pretty scathing. I haven't seen the full interviews, but he's, you know, already saying that he's ready to wield the axe, um, just given the 20 turnovers and 40 missed tackles. Yeah, I watched the um, post-match conference uh, and he, I can't remember the exact wording, but he said, well, uh, the question was something to the effect of, are you happy in a way that it was things like missed tackles and drop ball that were the reasons why you couldn't blah, 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 because they're easy to fix. And he's like, well, yeah, they are easy to fix. You just make changes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Get a new team. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you just you just drop the people that were doing it, um, which in a, in a way I kind of like because there's um, that it sounds to me like there isn't this Michael Checkers fan club yeah. of Waratahs players that he won the Super Rugby title with, yeah. and they just have this golden ticket to the team. It's it's not going to be like that, and that's really really beneficial, even if it might be at the expense of continuity mm. of the team and playing playing roster. But anyway, he knows what he's doing much more than I do. Yeah. Um, why don't we move on now to Maddie Tamua's injury? Does it, do either of you have the time of when he yeah, the went 30, off? About the 30th or 31st minute, right after okay. Corabetti scored that try. Okay, cool. So um, the question is, question number four, how much did Tamua's injury impact the Wallabies? Rev? I think it was really understated at first because, you know, you think, oh, Patea's coming on. That's a really good running threat. 
Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until uh, probably 60th minute when we were so far behind and trying to score some points that we realised that we've got this great attacking backline, but no one's putting them in gaps or yeah. you know getting them the ball where they need it to go. So uh, I think his injury definitely cost us a lot of points. Um, mm. You could see by the end that O'Connor was having to do a lot more of the playmaking. Um, Pasami was you know throwing some great dummies and Batea was getting on the outside edge, but you just saw last week um, Dalguna was getting the ball you know, every second time we had it. But this week he was getting nullified and, um, you know, Corabetti was getting the ball in awkward spaces just because we didn't have that second playmaker there. And so next, well, in two weeks time when we play again, if Timur's not ready yet, I think it's going to need to come down to putting maybe Haylett Petty at fullback or just someone that's a bit better with the playmaking mm-hmm. just so we can distribute the ball a bit better. Definitely. Yep. Mitch? Yeah, I um I noticed when I went back and watched the game, or well, the first half, that Matt Tamua and James O'Connor were into uh, were swapping in and out of the first sort of the first five position and being that first uh, receiver from the breakdown and, and distributing the play. And every time that we made significant breaks or gaps in the All Blacks back in the All Blacks defensive line was when Matt Tamua was there. When James O'Connor was doing it, we he was sort of shoveling the ball a little bit more. He wasn't quite taking the line on and creating the space that Tamua was. Um, and I think that's what ended up hurting us the most in that second half, um, that when Hunter Paisami shifted into it, in the first half, he tried in the beginning of the second half, he tried it a few times. Um, but yeah, he just didn't, it wasn't doing it as effectively as Matt Tamua was. Um, he just wasn't making the holes that, and he wasn't putting the outside backs in the holes that we were doing before. I also didn't just think that he didn't set the back line defensively as well as Matt Tamua does, whether it comes down to communication or um, just game awareness. I mean, this is his second start in the Wallabies. It's a big ask for him to go from 13 into 12. He hasn't played a lot of rugby at um, anyway, and then sort of try and drive that back line around in defense, particularly when the All Blacks are scoring off broken play, which we know they're so good at you've got to try and scramble just to get back on side, but then try and set the line as well. I think that's how that was where we struggled the most. Yeah. And I was wondering when Tamua went off, if it had been a mistake to have Lilesio not on a bench because he actually can play 12. He played 12 for the under twenties with Harrison at number 10. And so although he hasn't played it for super rugby AU, he could well play it or you just push, um, James O'Connor out to 12 and have Alessio in at 10. That's right. Um, yeah. That obviously means you don't have um, Pattaya on the bench unless you start him at 13 and Paisama's not in the squad. Because Paisami, for me, he's starting 13 or not in a 23. That's right. And, yep. and Paisami, as much as he tried his best and wasn't horrific at 12, um, he's not a 12. He doesn't have the passing game or the kicking game to really do really well. And he also doesn't, in my mind, have the defensive nous to yeah. organize the people around him, like you just said. It seems to go for the big hit. Um, he's, his trademark seems to be the big hit rushing up on the ball out the back. And I'm just not as confident with him. Yeah, there was a few times that he does. And he does do that a lot, doesn't he? Where he juts out of the line to make the hit, but it's not on. So the play is yep. kind of already shifting outside him. And then he's yep. just left this massive hole to run back through. So I just think it it had more of an impact than I would have thought to begin with. Because I was like, oh, yeah, you got James O'Connor. He can fit anywhere. you got Reese Hodge. He can fit anywhere. I actually think you should have brought Hodge on um, for uh, Mat- Matty Tamua and put Hodge in at 12. Because he has at least played it before yep. and does have a bit of a better pass in my mind. Although... But I'm then where do, you put, where do you put Bataille when you bring him on? Um, take Basami off. Yeah, there. Take Basami off, put him in there. Anyway, um, let's keep on rolling because we've got two more questions and it's been good to chat, but I really just want to get out to this point and I'm going to answer this one first. <laughs> Which players stood out for the right or wrong reasons? Stuff you all. Ned Hannigan was awesome and he played really, really well. So to all Ooh, the Ned Hannigan haters out there, he really did. Okay, the He's two like malls. The two, no, 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 no. You don't talk here. <laughs> All right. There were two malls that he got pinged at. And the first one, fair enough. Second one, I actually completely disagree with the call. Yeah, but, but he anyway. did the exact same thing. Yeah, exact no, it wasn't same exactly thing. the same. No, you remember the part where you're not allowed to talk in this moment. All right. Sorry, um, yeah. Thank you. Yes. Just mute so, <laughs> no, I can't. You organize the call. <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically, Ned Hannigan is so freaking maligned in Australian rugby. And I was just checking out some of the match threads on the 
cesspit that is WTF is with Australian rugby. Um, and people are just slamming Ned Hannigan throughout the... There are, there are people who are either recognising that he was the best player for the uh, Wallabies or they're saying he should be out of the team and not playing for Australia at all. And there's currently a poll going on the site that's saying um, who was Wallabies player of the match. And Hannigan is ahead at the <laughs> top of the vote with double the votes for anybody else. Um but then, yeah, I just can't get over the fact that so many people just don't get to see what Ned Hannigan brings from like 2020 version of Ned Hannigan, not 2016 version of Ned Hannigan. People are just yeah. stuck in this, oh, I hate him because that's who he used to play when he was brought into the team, when he was underdone, raw, and uh, shouldn't have been in the team. Yeah, but didn't now, it. He's a different prospect. And so he, look, I'm not saying he's the world's best number six or anything like that. All I'm saying is he had a job to do, which was to shore up the line out and protect the uh, rucks. And by and large, he did that. Um, the whole team obviously focused on it, but he was in my mind, a key component of that. So well done to Ned Hannigan. So that's my rant done. I'm out. You guys talk. <laughs> Who stood out for the right or wrong reason? Yeah, you go first, Rev. Uh, I'm going to back that up 100%. Um, and I have to preface, I am from Queensland. I like having it without being a Waratah supporter, you know. Like, um, after, <laughs> One of the few. Yeah, I know it's crazy. I, I had to defend that so many times on Twitter. I just start these arguments and be like, oh, you just Waratah's bias. It's like, no, he's, you know, they bring him into the line out. He can do that. Uh, they bring him in for ruck involvement. He can do that. Um, look, I, I went into the thing, um, into the game, thinking that he had his work cut out for him, but that I'd seen enough in Super Rugby that year that he could deliver. And Looking through, I think he might actually have the best stats of the game. He made 13 from 14 tackles. He got a pilfer, six runs for 24 metres, three defenders beaten, a clean break. Like, he's the reason Corey got that try. Yeah. Yep. I I don't know if we get on the scoreboard without Ned Hannigan, which is a massive thing to say for all the uh, detractors <laughs> out there. But, yeah, and I go to your point, it, it frustrated me so much. Like, I um check out uh, the Raw for articles every now and then, and, one of the articles, the headline from the editor of the rule was Ned Hannigan in and three other changes. You know, like they're prefacing the clickbait <laughs> just by trying to get out and say, like, can you believe it? Like the most maligned player in Australian rugby is playing again. But no, he, he proved all the um, all the haters wrong. Um, he, he had a great game. And on top of that, I think the combination of um, Pasami and Patea, a few missed tackles and turnovers, but they were really good. Um and again, the surprise from last week, uh, Matt Phillip. He was awesome at lock again. I thought. Nice, Mitch. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna flip the coin over to the black side, and say that I was really impressed with Richie Mawanga this game. Um, he played well last week as well, but yeah, he was just so dangerous with the ball. Every time he got it, I was scared that oh, he's gonna find some little break, um, get through and and score a try. And a lot of the times he did do that. So. Yeah, I was really impressed with his game today. Um, Caleb Clark, as we've said before as well, really, really good. Um, and Sam Kane played really well again, like he like he did last week. Yep, agreed. I thought Caleb Clark was, as there have been a lot of articles that have come out in the last few hours, just talking him up for every good reason. Uh, so really, really well done to Caleb Clark. He absolutely, uh, I think he had the highest run meters in a, across the game and was just oh, yeah. really, really impressive. Um, the other the other Aussie player that I was actually pretty impressed with was I was paying a bit more attention to Tom Banks because I was a bit down on him last week, but then other people were talking him up. And so I was like, oh, am I wrong? Or am I just like hating on him? Because I don't know, for some reason I'm hating on him, but he's actually pretty good under the high ball. I think he dropped one this week, yeah. but he, he's been pretty solid. He had a few positive involvements when he got the ball. He's, he's not getting dominated not having dominant tackles against him. I'd just like to see him enter as a bit more of a playmaker and try to not just be looking to put through, be put through a gap, but try to be almost a second or third distributor. I really wanted him to be stepping up when Tamua went off, but he didn't. Um, I'm not sure if that is an, well, a weakness within his game. He doesn't have that passing ability, uh, but it was something that we were lacking by not having a player who can inject himself into the line like Bowden Barrett, who is a 10 as well. He can just come in and be almost as good as Moanga um, with the way that he kind of distributes and put other people through the gap. Um, the pers people who I wasn't too impressed with, I wasn't too impressed with Michael Hooper this game. Um, and normally he's like a godlike figure for me. 
because he can do no wrong. But I reckon he's playing with a shoulder injury. Yeah. And um, I think it was Rod Kafer that mentioned it after he felt awkwardly. He got cleaned out really that was last week, he- yeah. heavily. No, it happened this week as well. He did um, it he last got cleaned week out. He started. Yeah, 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 for, correct. For yeah, half so, time. Yeah. So he got hit bad last week. And then I think it's carried over to this week because he got a fairly heavy clean out against him in the I think it was in the first half um but anyway he copped a heavy clear out and was down on the ground for a bit and then he goes and misses like five tackles throughout the game which he normally doesn't so I'm just wondering if playing with an injury and whether it might be a good idea to if he is give him a week off get Fraser McWright in there and have give Fraser McWright a freaking crack because he is just an energizer bunny and may well, like I'm not saying he's better than Hooper, but if Hooper's injured, McRide is a good person to come in at seven. Oh yeah, it's a big call though. Like we go into the decider basically this week. So if yeah. we don't win this next game, or ne- next weekend, uh, if we don't win that one, we've got no chance. We need to win the next yep. two to win the Bledisloe back. So um, hopefully having two weeks off is enough to get him over that sort of whatever the injury is. Hopefully it's just a stinger. Um, but yeah, I, I can understand... I definitely think Fraser McWright would be a good option to replace Hooper, but in such a big game, I don't know. I think we'd, we'd benefit more having Hooper there. Sure. Uh, Rev, thoughts? Are we wrong about Hooper? Well, he's, he's definitely not as um, Herculean as he normally is, you know, because he's normally, even if he's not, um, you know, the standout player in terms of all the run meters or all the defenders beaten, he's normally got more tackles than everyone. He's normally got more ruck involvements, um, so, yeah, he is a little bit ginger, you can see, because even some of the times that he was going into the rocks, he was really just putting the hand on, you know, the bum of someone in front of him. It wasn't the same, yeah. like, you know, plowing right through that he normally does. But this is the, the issue is if we had the rugby championship set up as it normally was, like, we'd be able to put, uh, you know, right or McWright in at seven against South Africa and Argentina. Yeah, it does would. seem really risky to do that against your Blacks in a game that we have to win. But yeah. that's, you know... We yeah, may have to. We've really got at the moment. Yeah, yeah, we may have to. I think um, my fix at the moment would be just putting right in there because the whole issue has been around, you know, lineouts. If you want to have your lineouts, but also have your backer options mostly in the same position, you can have a Samu right and um, Wilson back row, and I think you'd be pretty happy with that. I wonder if yeah. Samu's fallen out of favour with Rennie already. Like it was a big call for him to get completely booted out of the twenty-three this week. Especially when I don't think he had a bad game particularly. Like I know a lot of people were saying that he went missing or wasn't, you know, as impactful as he needed to be. But he um he was our most solid defender last week. He had 10 from 10 tackles and he was, you know, doing some of the annoying work, like, you know, getting up in lineouts and you know, contesting for balls in the rocks, even though it wasn't super successful. I'd be keen to see if it is something that's an off-the-field um, you know, decision as to why he's not in there. Yeah, but, I mean, when you look at the impact that both Ned Hannigan and um, Fraser uh, – not Fraser, but right um, – Harry Wilson had this week at eight and six, they were, I would say they were more impactful together than they would, would have been if they had summer at eight. Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't too, I didn't rate Wilson very highly this week. Um, he was actually, Rennie was saying like that he was throwing in hospital. Yeah. He was in hospital for 36 um, hours leading up to the game. Yeah. Which is just crazy. So in my mind, like the player has been in hospital for that long prior to, should he even really be playing on the weekend? Um, I would have brought Samu in and started him because I thought um, Wilson lacked his usual energy and impact on the game. He had a couple of big defensive hits, um, but he just didn't show the same um, wide running ability that he did in game one. He didn't seem to be having as much meters made in contact as the first game. I just wasn't as blown away by him this week as previously, but you kind of get that from the younger players where they don't yet have the ability to have the consistency game to game. They'll have a few really good games or one standout game, and then their performance will drop before it comes back up again. They don't have that consistency that someone like Hooper does, who's just Herculaneum almost all weeks. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, any other players, Rev, that you want to highlight for standing out for the right or wrong reasons? Uh, the only, I guess there's two that I don't think um, did a great job, and that was White and Corabetti, mainly just because they've done such a great job last week. But White, you know, for all his running last week, only managed one, you know, carry this week and just wasn't able to inject himself into the game because of the line speed and the rock work that the All Blacks were implementing. Like they just made it hell for him to try and actually get the ball out. So, he, he was really well contained, but it just meant that we didn't get the same 
um, line breaks at the same meters that we had last week. And then Corbett's hands must have made a soap. And that, that second half of the season, he just the number of times that we got the ball and we we're in like a decent to good um, attacking area, and he just dropped it. And like they weren't the best passes in the world, and he was getting a few sort of speculator pills over the head, but just to not be able to bring in any of them. And um, it's, ca- it's uncharacteristic of him, isn't it? We haven't yeah, quite no, seen him put the balls strength. down a lot. But it just seemed to be compounding for him. I feel like it really showed his confidence. I don't know if he you know, received a massive hit and was just sort of uh, a bit more wary of the defence. But even as we were winding the game up, we had this perfect set phase opportunity. We had the scrum. He was first receiver and just knocked it cold and there wouldn't have been a defender for 10 metres. So, um, yeah, I, I think those two were just two that come to mind as not really delivering this week. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think why... What you were saying there about the battle at the Ruck was really key because you notice this game that the the contest for the ball was ferocious at Ruck time, which just slowed down the ability of the Aussies to actually be able to recycle their own ball, which meant that White had to go in digging for a bunch of times. The defence around the edges is set and therefore he's not having a space to do his running because that was one of the key differences in this game compared to last week, but also when Tamua goes off, you can often look for your nine to be that um, another playmaker to assist, but because of the nature of the rucks in this game, you, he simply didn't have the capacity to do anything other than just shovel it onto James O'Connor. So I think that was a part of our ineffectual attack was because of the heavy contest at the ruck slowing the ball down. So he can't have that quick go forward that white was thriving off last week. All right, moving to the final question for the evening. It is, will New Zealand win the Bledisloe 3-0? Mitch, you first. What do you reckon? No, they won't. I think the Wallabies will have a good shot in Sydney in two weeks' time. So uh, they did things a little poorly t- this tonight, this week. I think Rennie's going to take this time to really bring them together and, and galvanise them. This will be the first time we see the All Blacks travel this year. So we've gone across the ditch. They've played all of their domestic competition in New Zealand. They've not traveled at all. Um, we've been through our quarantine period and, and we we took it to them. So I'm hoping that that will have an effect um, going into this, this last two games. So I, I really think the Wallabies will do really good in Sydney hope and win it. Not too sure about um, Brisbane. I'll have to get Rev up there cheering them on. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they won't win 3-0. So you're going to be two one to the Kiwis, most likely. Oh, I mean, I, I'm I'm hopeful that we're gonna we're gonna win it back. Ooh, I'm hopeful okay. that they're gonna win it. All yeah. Right. All right. So Mitch's call is two one to the Aussies, winning both home games. Okay, Rev, what's your call? Uh, if I was to put money on it based off today, I'd, I'd like to think that we win at least one of the matches. I think we do win one of the matches. I think it comes completely down to how Rennie uses his time uh, with the players. And I think the big thing will just be analysis, analysis of our own game and analysis of how the Kiwis have played because they haven't had a lot of time together. They've probably just been doing a lot of on-field stuff, making sure that you know they know their patterns, they know uh, which lines to be running, what the line-out calls are and all that sort of stuff. I think just with the analysis, there's one passage in that game that completely turned everything and it's, um, right after Jordy Barrett scored, started the second half. Yep. So we're down 15-7. Uh, we get the option for a penalty that's about 35 metres out on a slight angle after Hooper gets a turnover. And we kick to the corner. And the whole time I was just, you know, saying to my mates, I thought, well, this is a great time. We've not earned the right to get in points. Just take the three. Um, you know, we can work back there, but 15-10 seems pretty respectable. Yeah. You know, after they've just... Like you're, you're, within, you're, you're in touch there. Yeah, yeah, we're within one uh, score. But in that passage, instead of what happens is uh, Banks kicks to touch. It's not overly good. We're still 20 metres out. Pangaramosa throws to Wilson, who's, you know, our fourth best line-out option. Um, All Blacks steal it, kick it downfield, and that sets up O'Connor's uh, mindless midfield bomb to... Caleb Clark, it runs through the entire team twice, um, you know, just to get back on our trial line. So I think it really is just the analysis. Those little things change and we look at, you know, better decision-making and we can win the game in Sydney. Um, and Wallabies won't look, lose in Brisbane, you know, the fortress of Suncorp Stadium. So that'll be... Um, <laughs> we're looking for a good end to the series, I think. Yeah, I really hope that um, Australia gets one, the Wallabies get one. 
one in Sydney so that it sets up that final game because the Aussies usually play really well at Suncorp. Uh, there's something about the speed of the field there that that the Aussies just always step up at or often step up. It's just such a good pitch. Um, so I'm really, really hoping that, look, if, if I was actually putting money on, yeah, if I was putting money, I would actually be putting money on New Zealand to get a clean sweep. Um, I think that we can win at least one of the games um, maybe maybe like a 10% chance of getting both games. Um, New Zealand are just more composed than us at the moment and are executing the basics better. And so whilst we're going to have work-ons that we're doing for the next two weeks, they don't have those basics that they need to be catching up on to be able to move forward. They're already at a high level. So yeah, it's just... I'm, I'm concerned that there's a little bit too far ahead of us at this point in time, although I'm, I'm somewhat pleased in the way that the Aussies have been progressing in the first two games. Um, I'm hoping to see further improvements and development over the next two, maybe still one of the Hold two on, games. I'm, I'm going to pull you out there for a sec. So you, you think that the All Blacks are ahead of us at the moment to a point where yes. they're, going to, they're going to win the series? Yes. I don't agree with that. I think, so you think we're better than New Zealand. No, I'm not saying we're better than New Zealand, but <laughs> it's simple things. It's simple errors that we made tonight, today that let the, the Kiwi score. They scored those three tries in the space of 10 minutes, but after that, we kept them out for the rest of the game. In the past, uh, uh, we've been in this position so many times in the last five years where the Wallabies have just gone to pieces and they've scored 30, 40, 50 points against us. So, you know, if... Like um, Rev said before, if we kick those points, it completely flips the game. Um, if James O'Connor doesn't do that stupid bomb up to Caleb Clark, first of all, doesn't kick to Caleb Clark, doesn't put the ball anywhere near him, finds touch somewhere, or just has two or three runners coming onto it, they don't score that second try there. And then that changes things. So I, I think we're close. We've got room to move and improve but I don't think we're that far off the mark. Yeah, and look, maybe, I'm not sure if I overstated it before. I don't think we're that far off the mark. I just think they're ahead of us. And that I'm, I, I think New Zealand will win both of the next two games. I just don't want them to, obviously. Um, and I'm hoping that the Wallabies will be able to get ahead. One of the things that really disappointed me about this week was we moved away from the contestable box kicks. And it was something that had worked really, really well for us last, last week, where Nick White would be putting up these really nicely timed box box kicks and our players were able to get up and compete for them and there was some stat i can't remember exactly how many of his kicks we regathered or they knocked on but it was yeah. a high percentage it was more than 50 percent. yeah, yeah um was. so there was just these elements to the game that i just don't understand why we didn't do better and so yeah that just speaks into my thought of i think new zealand are better than uh, better than us well obviously they've won the first two games or they've won the, uh, the most first recent game, game. Um, and yeah I just I don't know man I don't know I don't want to be overly optimistic because all it does is make me disappointed when <laughs> when we go down Rev am I talking any sense whatsoever look completely because it's um, <laughs> the mindset I had was I think I got lulled into the trap of being too optimistic after the draw and so I went into today thinking oh, 34-year hoodoo, that's nothing. We'll, we'll get it today, that's fine. Um, and clearly that didn't pan out. But I think one of the things that really stopped us was just them getting in our face because the the niggle was something that got brought up for game one. I think that's why they put Dane Coles into the starting team, to be honest. He's yeah. such a douchebag. Like, uh, oh my but, gosh, he is the worst of humans on a rugby field. And that, it was like a, one minute 30 or something and he starts that tiff with, um, with Tupo. Yeah. yeah, and and that was the thing. He, he got right into Tupo's face, so it limited you know the amount of meters he was able to make, and that they really um, rushed him. But Coles was also really getting to Nick White, and I think that's partially why he didn't have the same running game as last week, but also why the box kick wasn't implemented as much. Because you know if you get Dan Coles sort of rubbing your face in the dirt every time you um, make a tackle and stuff like that, you're just a little bit more on edge. You're probably not um, thinking about that as much. You're just trying to clear the ball and. I, I really just think that that was, you know, one of the things that stopped that play and, you know, got them to the edge. So if we can, again, work on that analysis and just get in the right mindset of, yeah, um, they're the best team in the world, but they're also, you know, 15 blokes on a field at a time. Um, keep it away from Clark, then it should be pretty good. <laughs> Don't kick it to him with no chases. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's a simple thing. It's the simple things of life. Um, well, t- team, um, I think, have I gone through to everybody about who's, if, we're gonna, yeah. if they're going to yeah. win it through now? I've asked everyone. Good. Okay. I think so. I think we're going to wrap it up here. Let's get some quick final thoughts. Um, any summary we'll comments you want to make? Yeah, correct. The prediction yeah, for correct. game two or three. Three. So, uh, Mitch, before we wrap up, any final thoughts from you, my friend? Yeah, look, um, we did. I think we've, we've said it throughout the podcast. Um, they've done, their tackling wasn't great. They've, they've let themselves down in certain areas. I do think... Dave Rennie is going to spend a lot of time bringing this team together and changing that that um, uh, that mind frame for them, um, putting a lot of emphasis on certain areas of the game. I think he can turn it around. Um, we take away the whole hoodoo of Eden Park for the next two games. We play at home. So I think that's going to be a massive thing for us. Uh, I, I do see that we can compete going forward. We'll make those changes. It's not as doom and gloom as it was at the end of the game. So I'm I'm feeling optimistic. Okay, cool. Rev, how about you? Any final comments? Yeah, I think you couple what Mitch just said with the fact that because of the whole um, travel bubble and, you know, having to uh, quarantine when you get back home, we shouldn't really be expecting any New Zealanders travelling here, but hopefully just a lot more gold in the stadium. Maybe that's enough to, you know, give an extra a few points here or there when, you know, Wallabies are playing. But the big thing for me would just be seeing how Rennie changes the team because he's already brought up um, selection changes he had no hesitation doing that last week. Um, I would start things off by doing a straight swap of Tupo and Alalatola. But yeah. the big thing that will come from this is if Tamua's injuries as serious as it looked when he you know, was um, down on the ground, yeah. how they go about changing that's going to be the biggest, I think, selection headache because do we bring in a new rookie 12? Do we put Hodge in there who hasn't played that much? Do we blood the Alessio and move um, O'Connor out like so I many. don't think I can make a prediction on how they go until I see what team they name. And, you know, I guess the the positivity or the optimism that's coming out of the um, camp once they're back in Oz. Yeah. All right, Rev, put your money where your mouth is. The game that's coming up in Sydney, who's going to win by how much? Look, um, because I'm a big fan of running because I, I like this what I'm saying I'm going to say Wallabies by five um, yep. but that is with all of my Monopoly money and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think uh, yes saving saying in tech I think I'll um, be slightly more optimistic than realistic with that but I think everything goes right um, we've got a great team we've got a good coach the players look really interested and invest into uh, what we're going for so yeah Wallabies by five in Sydney Brilliant. Mitch. I was sweating for you to ask me if I'm going to put my money on it. No, no, I, I was not going to. Because <laughs> I, 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 all I was going to say, I was going to say, I'll have no money left after forking out tickets to go to the game. Um, hey, hey. The so price there, the no, I haven't yet, but I'm just, the prices they're asking for people to pay to go and watch the Wallabies is absolutely ridiculous. $200 a ticket is just way too much in this economy. Um, Are you serious? Yeah, $200 a ticket for Category B. Category C is 150. So it's ridiculous. Serious? That's yeah. ridiculous. And that's behind the goalpost. That is the I worst. I didn't realize they kept that price. I thought that was going to be just for the double header. No, it's still, it I, I was looking at it this afternoon because I was like, oh, well, now they've gotten rid of the double header. It's going to, that's going to be the only game we get to see uh, the Wallabies play in Sydney. The only other game is going to be New Zealand and Argentina at Bank West. So. I'm probably going to have to go to that one now. Um, but yeah, it's just ridiculous how much they're, they're charging. There's not going to be a lot of people there, that's for sure. Unless they give away a lot of comp tickets. Um, but anyway, back on to the, the prediction. I, I think I'm hoping that the home ground advantage is going to be what turns it for us. Um, I think this team definitely, as Rev was saying, has the potential to to stick with the, with the All Blacks and to, to do good things and improve in certain areas. Um, Dave Rennie's already shown through his ability to change the teams in his selection that most of like, everything that he changed this week came off. Um, we were forced to make a few inju- uh, replacements due to injury that were kind of unforeseen with Tamua. I think he was expected to play 80. But um, yeah, I, I have faith that he's going to turn the ship around and I, I definitely think... He's going to get the boys up and ready for their first home game of the year in Australia. It's going to be a big thing for Rennie. 
Um, he's already shown that he can get the team G'd up for a big game as we went toe-to-toe with, at Wellington. I just think today at Eden Park was just a too big thing. The media or around the, the whole, you know, not winning there since 1986 and all that sort of stuff was just, I think it was too much, a hurdle too far for the team where they're currently at. But I'm going for the Wallabies. I'm going to say by three. Oh, by three. Okay. And I'm going to go on the other side of you and say Wallabies by one. And oh. there's going to be a storyline to it. Okay. The storyline will be James O'Connor in a dying, like it'll be extra time, one or two minutes of extra time because the ball's still in play. We get the penalty and who would be the best person to give? Dane Coles would be the one to give away the penalty because nobody <laughs> likes him. Oh, and just James like... O'Connor will step up. Oh, that'd be so good. Just like when the war has one. With Richie McCall oh, coming in the side. Oh, so good. That was so good. I just loved being in the stadium, just abusing Richie McCaw as he was walking off the field then. I mean, he's, he's a good human being, don't get me wrong. But he didn't know where the offside line was or the rest didn't mind if he didn't care where the offside line was. So it was just good to... Anyway, anyway, I won't relive that memory again. Um, basically, Walby's by one point and James O'Connor will kick the winning penalty in extra time. That's, if that if this comes off, I'll be the happiest man in history. Awesome. Um, team, let's finish it there. So thank you so much, Rev, for coming along. We massively appreciate you being here and having a chat with us. Yeah, it's awesome. Absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Um, it's always great to come on. Oh, it's good, mate. And one other thing we should say, Rev has started his own podcast with his brother, mate. So give yourself a bit of a shout out. What's the podcast name? Where do people find it? Uh, yeah, thanks for that. Um, so my brother and I, we've started a rugby podcast called Rugby Fixation and early stages at the moment, it's on Spotify and uh, it's also on soon to be Apple. That's the one that's taken the longest. Yeah, it takes moment, a but, while. It does um, take a while. Yeah, but it's, um, it's great. I'm looking forward to diving into the little analytics behind it. I, you know, I love my stats. So um, <laughs> just seeing the number of players that I've got a, a listener that's over 65, you know, all that fun stuff. So. Uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to talk more rugby whenever I get the chance. Okay, mate. Well, thank you for awesome. coming on. Mitch, any final words before we wrap up? Nope. All done. All right. Let's leave it there. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a wonderful day and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week.